What is up and welcome to the Fan Section Podcast. Yes, it's still me, Tyson Quiller. Uh, Alan's still under the weather a little bit, but the show must go on. So, uh, dropping knowledge, talking college from section 100 to 300, uh, the bleachers to the suites. We are the Fan Section Podcast, and we are here to bring you the storylines that and the insights that you're probably not going to hear or see uh, on your normal news source. And we're just talking, bantering, well, not in this case, it's just me talking, uh, about some of the things going on on the college landscape. And in this particular podcast, we're going to look forward to week three in the college football season and how a lot of things have kind of shaped the season so far. We already have your traditional Blue Bloods, traditional powers. Ohio State lost uh, last week to Oregon. Two weeks ago, Clemson loses. Uh, when, you, when you think about the playoff traditionally, um, you, you traditionally think of three slots being taken up, one by Alabama, one Ohio State, one Clemson, at least within the last five or six years. Well, now two of those slots may be vacated. They may not. Those two teams can certainly find their way back into the playoff. But, uh, but we're going to go ahead and kick this thing off, this uh, episode, with a little bit of the news that has come across the wire so far. First and foremost, um, wide receiver Levante Chenault, uh, known probably best as a wide receiver Colorado, but also the younger brother of NFL wide receiver LaVisca Chenault, uh, is now uh, officially suspended for the remainder of the season. Uh, he's had a little bit of a tattered history, a few uh, run-ins with the police and arrests here and there. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened this time, uh, but Carl Durrell has suspended him before, and, uh, and this time, obviously, it must have been kind of a three strikes and you're out. So he is suspended for the remainder of the season. That is now one fewer weapon that an already beleaguered quarterback, Renan Lewis, um, can utilize to try and get off the schneid. As far as uh, injuries are concerned... Uh, Miami backup running back Donald Cheney Jr. out for the season with a leg injury. Uh, I was hoping to be able to talk to Alan about this, but Georgia wide receiver Arian Smith uh, is questionable for this weekend. Uh, he had a 61-yard touchdown reception from Stetson Bennett, who had a fantastic game last week. Um, so him being questionable is a little bit interesting, especially when George Pickens isn't back yet. Alabama first team All-SEC linebacker Will Anderson Jr. is questionable with a knee injury for this weekend. Uh, Minnesota wide receiver Chris Ottman-Bell is questionable with a leg injury uh, for their game against Colorado. And then Tennessee quarterback Joe Milton, who really let me down this last weekend, um, is questionable Saturday with a lower body injury. Also Tennessee's first team all-SEC offensive lineman Cade Mays, questionable for Saturday's game with an ankle injury. Uh, more bad news for Colorado. Colorado's first team, All-Pac-12 uh, running back, Jared Broussard, questionable for Saturday's game against Minnesota with an undisclosed injury. Iowa State's uh, starting linebacker, Orion Vance, questionable uh, Saturday, also has an undisclosed injury. The, the next three here are all undisclosed injuries. Illinois' leading running back, Mike Benson, um, is questionable uh, after having 107 yards and a touchdown in their loss to Virginia. LSU's second-team All-SEC uh, defensive end, Ali Gay, questionable for Saturday, as well as Ohio State defensive back, Seven Banks. Kansas State starting quarterback, Skylar Thompson, out indefinitely with a knee injury. Uh, Georgia State, really one of their only standouts. Wide receiver Sam Pinckney is still out with an illness. Um, that has really, I think, impacted their production so far this year. And Wisconsin linebacker Leo Chennault continues to be out with an illness indefinitely. Um, unfortunately, Alan's not here, but we can do a little quick recap of our uh, new and patented Power 5 Pick'em. Uh, you may recall Alan won week one um, when he got uh, three uh, correct winners and I had only two. Well, the same is the case this week. I had picked Tennessee. They obviously got crushed by Pittsburgh. That really started my Saturday off uh, as a bummer, <laughs> but then I was able to go to that Colorado-Texas uh, A&M game, and that was uh, just a wonderful, fun time down in Denver. Allen picked Northern Illinois. Wyoming beat them. Uh, I picked uh, Nebraska correctly, and they beat Buffalo. Allen had Iowa over Iowa State, which was correct. And then I had picked NC State, and man, did they let me down as well. They lost to Mississippi State. So ultimately, Allen won our Power 5 pick this week, 3-2. Uh, to two. 
and I will have to reach out to him to see how we are going to be doing the Power 5 pick coming up this week. Um, here's three that I have in my mind. Now, this is a week that Allen gets three, and I only get two. But the three I'm looking at, Colorado victory over Minnesota, uh, Virginia Tech victory over West Virginia, and an Arizona State victory over BYU, who is actually really playing well this year. Now, a little forecast into the games coming up this weekend. Uh, this is a game, uh, 5.30 p.m. on Friday on ESPN. Uh, UCF is favored by 7 over Louisville. Louisville's a team that kind of had a little promise coming into the season, uh, but they've really been kind of underwhelming. They got dominated in their first week. Uh, their game against Ole Miss, 43-24. Matt Corral really went wild on them. That's the quarterback for Mississippi. Uh, and then, obviously, we talked about UCF's big victory week one. Both of these teams are coming off of wins in week two. UCF beat Bethune-Cookman 63-14 to uh, in a game where they really, uh, even though they have a fantastic quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, they really emphasized the run. They had 290 yards rushing. Uh, and my dude, uh, the Northwestern transfer, Isaiah Bowser, that's the dude I was saying that whole game against Boise, they need to get him going more. Well, in this game, they got him going more. 45 carries, 231 yards. Uh, well, this is for the season. 45 carries, 231 yards, and five touchdowns. He also is a little bit of a threat out of the backfield. He's got five receptions. Uh, UCF last week, four for four in fourth down efficiency. That is pretty impressive. Um, you convert all four of your fourth down attempts. Um one area of concern I would note for UCF is the defense is giving up almost 300 yards per game total yardage to the opponent. Um, that really requires UCF to make the, the comeback victory like they did against Boise State. I'm not sure that Louisville will capitalize on that in this game, but, um, uh, but that, that could hurt them moving forward, and eventually they're going to face Cincinnati, and I still don't think they're in the class of Cincinnati just yet. Uh, Desmond Ritter has looked great, the quarterback for Cincinnati. But Louisville, in their loss week one to Mississippi, uh, they averaged 5.3 yards per pass. Uh, and Mississippi averaged 10.9 yards per pass. So, you know, I mean, if they're, they're getting twice as many yards per pass as you, it's really tough to compete with a team. Uh, quarterback Malik Cunningham, uh, <clears throat> on the season, 61%, 469 yards, but only two touchdowns. Um, four rushing touchdowns, though. So he's a weapon with his legs, but he does not have the um, the adequate ability to be converting touchdowns with the pass, specifically in the red zone. On the defensive side, their junior defensive back, Kendrick Duncan, uh, is somebody to keep your eye on. He doesn't have any interce interceptions yet on the season, but he is a bit of a ball-hawking player, and he may have some opportunities if... Uh, UCF decides to throw the ball to Gabriel. If they decide to run it, I think that this could just get out of hand pretty quickly because I don't think Louisville has the defensive front to hold up against a run game that UCF can provide. Um, but uh, Duncan, 15 tackles, one sack, three pass deflections in their uh, last week's uh, 30 to nothing win over Eastern Kentucky. So, again, that's, that's Friday, 5.30 on ESPN. UCF is a seven-point favorite. I think they probably win by more than that. Uh, the second game on that evening, Friday evening at 7 p.m. on FS1, is a Maryland team that I really think is is uh, kind of rising from the ashes. And it's shocking to me because I was never really high on Mike Loxley, but boy, is he doing a wonderful job so far uh, at Maryland. Uh, and Maryland uh, plays at Illinois. Maryland coming off of a 62 to nothing drubbing of Howard, and Illinois coming off of... <laughs> That really, really poor performance where they lost 42 to 14 uh, to Virginia, and Virginia is Virginia is also a team to keep your eye on. They're they're on the up and up. Bronco Mendenhall is doing a great job there. Um, Illinois in their first two games, um, uh, Sitkowski. Okay, so yeah, so Sitkowski, you remember came in for Brandon Peters week one against Nebraska because Brandon Peters got injured. And Sikowski, I thought it was really kind of doing a decent job. Uh, in his first two games, 60%, 390 yards and five touchdowns. You know, that's that's pretty uh, effective game managing, but more than game managing. You know, I mean, he, he was pressing some offense. 
Um, well, he finally regressed this last week against Virginia. Only 52% passing, one touchdown, one interception. Illinois' defense has now given up 120-plus rushing yards and 240-plus passing yards to every opponent that they face this year. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, one area uh, that I think can keep Illinois competitive, and it did against Nebraska, is uh, the short pass accuracy. Sitkowski's actually been pretty good at that. And also their third down efficiency uh, was pretty successful, which uh, is a tip of the cap to Brett Bielema calling effective plays on third downs. Uh, on, the, on the Maryland side of the ball, uh, uh, Talia Tagovailoa so far this year has been wonderful. His average QBR in each game is 80.1, which is just tremendous. This last game against Howard, he went 22 of 27 for 274 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, so the offense is strong and efficient, but on the defensive side, Maryland is much improved as well. Their defense uh, is only giving up an average of 57 rush yards per game, and they have forced five turnovers through the first two games. Um I think we've identified that the wide receiver, Demas Jr., is uh, Talia Tagovailoa's main uh, main target, and, and they're really starting to find their identity. Uh, that's something you hear kind of talked about a lot in football, but, man, when you it's, it's kind of like that saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, when you find what you're good at, if you can just hammer on that, you can really be successful, um, you know, outside of maybe a couple of games. If Maryland plays Ohio State, they're not, you know, you, you're not going to be able to be competitive that way, but... But uh, Demas Jr. Uh, in this last game, 12 receptions, 261 yards, two touchdowns. That game, 7 p.m. on FS1, Maryland favored by eight. I think that that's fair. I think Maryland maybe would win by more, but uh, I'm a little bit hesitant just yet to put too many eggs in Maryland's basket. Uh, then Saturday, the, the big noon kickoff on Big Fox, 10 a.m., uh, would have been a big, big, big-time game if Nebraska had won their first game against Illinois, but they didn't. So you get Nebraska against Oklahoma. Oklahoma really bounced back well after their tight, close game against Tulane in Week 1. But each of these teams, uh, Nebraska's coming off of a big win, 28-3 to over a pretty good Buffalo team. Uh, and then uh, Oklahoma drubbed West, uh, Western Carolina 76-0 last week. Adrian Martinez uh, on the year so far, 62%, 728 yards and four touchdowns. Not as many touchdown passes as you would like to see. But here's something interesting, and I think a real uh, problem for Nebraska's offensive strategy and um, cohesiveness moving forward. But Martinez is also their leading rusher. They brought in the kid Marquise Stepp from USC in the offseason, and in three games, he has 128 yards and one touchdown. I mean, he's just been a flat-out complete dud, uh, which is which is just really tough for Nebraska. Martinez, on the other hand, in those three games, 256 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Uh, in this past game, Martinez really found a, a go-to target in Samari Toure, he is now one of the top 10 uh, wide receivers in yardage in the country uh, after not really doing a ton in week one. Um, but as far as the defense for Nebraska, uh, oh, let's see. they've really been solid uh, so far, and, and, and the offense is really starting to kind of catch up with them. Uh, so we'll see. It's a tall task against Oklahoma. Uh, Spencer Rattler uh, had one touchdown and two interceptions in week one. That's Spencer Rattler, the quarterback for Oklahoma, the Heisman contender coming into the season. Uh, one touchdown, two interceptions week one against Tulane. Uh, 20 of 26, 243, and five touchdowns passing uh, in week two in their drubbing of West Carolina. He has thrown a pass to 14 different receivers. Uh, they really uh, got out and explored the field and uh, explored different talents and different targets. Uh, wide receiver Mims, 610 yards uh, and nine touchdowns last year. He only has 136 yards and zero touchdowns this year. That is a little bit concerning. Um, I know they're trying to uh, see bring new players into the fold and see what other weapons they have. But Mims is 
coming into the season you knew was one of your biggest uh, threats, and you haven't been able to utilize him as much as you would probably like. Hazelwood also was another one of these receivers that you really thought was going to be uh, outstanding. He does have two touchdowns, but only 66 yards receiving. Um, so uh, I think Oklahoma has some things to figure out as far as, uh, you know, I mean, you, you can play around and throw to 14 different guys against West Carolina, but, uh, you know, when you're playing a better team, and maybe even when you're playing Nebraska, you need guys you can rely on. Uh, so we'll see. Um, uh, the defense um, has only given uh, only given up 287 yards, forced six turnovers, and eight sacks. Oklahoma's defense really came to play uh, in this game against West Carolina. I think they probably heard a lot of the press clippings saying that they were underperforming, and, man, did they turn the table on that. Um, so it's going to be uh, – well, I don't know. I, I was going to say it's going to be interesting. You know, that's kind of my <laughs> tagline anymore, but – I'm not so sure. Nebraska needs to control the line of scrimmage. They need to control the clock. They need to run heavy. They transferred from USC Marquise Step. He needs to double his production from the first three games. He needs 130 and a touchdown and on, on 20 carries um, if they're gonna if they're gonna remain competitive. Oklahoma's favored by 22. That's a lot. Um, I, I think you're safe with Oklahoma in the points. I wouldn't go too much higher than that. Uh, so that's that's the big noon kickoff on Fox at 10 a.m. The next game on ESPN at 10 a.m. Uh, pits uh, a really, really impressive Cincinnati team uh, against Indiana, who, boy, they just laid a complete dud week one. Uh, but bounce back pretty effectively <clears throat> in week two in their victory over Idaho, 56-14. to 14. Uh, As far as Cincinnati... Uh, quarterback Desmond Ritter on the season, 73%, which is extremely accurate. 538 yards, six touchdowns, and he does have the one interception. He is off to a fantastic start. It'll be interesting to see what he does against a really pretty good Indiana defense. Uh, on, on the Cincinnati side, the junior uh, running back, Jerome Ford, is averaging 115 yards and two touchdowns per game in the first two games. Their defense averages only giving up 250 yards. They've forced five turnovers themselves. Um, they only averaged two uh, turnovers per game last year. So five turnovers is probably above what their average production is. But um, <clears throat> but they're, they're coming to play this year, and Luke Fickle has a good tight bunch together. Uh, on, this, on the Indiana side, Boy, really interesting uh, happenings going on in the quarterback room. Michael Penix had another uh, underwhelming performance, 11 of 16, only 68 yards and two touchdowns. But the kid Tuttle came in, 2 of 4, 91 yards and a touchdown. You may see uh, this kid Tuttle make a run at that starting quarterback job uh, at Indiana. Um, uh, unlike Marquise Stepp, who we talked about with Nebraska, um, the... Uh, running back transfer from USC that went to Indiana, Steph, Stephen Carr, 22 carries, 118 yards, and a touchdown. Much improved over week one. He only had 57 yards. Uh, most important, I think, probably for Indiana, and maybe something they really, really focused on, zero turnovers from the offense in this game against Idaho um, after they had three in week one. Cincinnati's favored by three and a half. Prior, pr uh, prior to the season, I had Indiana winning this. I, I think that there's confusion uh, and, and, and maybe drama in the quarterback situation, uncertainty, and I think that that's static that they really don't need. In Bloomington, I, I think Cincinnati will win this game. Um, and, and maybe Cincinnati, I mean, it's unfortunate for them. They were hoping this would be a big game to get on their resume. Um, as Cincinnati tries to make their march to be the first non-Power 5 team to make the playoff. So that'll be interesting. It's 10 a.m. on ESPN. Uh, 10 a.m. on FS1, the next game, Virginia Tech, who has looked really pretty good. I mean, they beat North Carolina week one, uh, and then Middle Tennessee this last week, 35-14. They get West Virginia. Uh, and in this game, actually, West Virginia is favored by three points, which is... I find interesting, um, considering last week Virginia Tech 
two weeks ago, Virginia Tech beat North Carolina. West Virginia lost to Maryland. You would think North Carolina is better than Maryland, but sometimes that law of transitivity doesn't always follow through, or maybe there's something that Vegas is is working on that we're unaware of. But uh, Virginia Tech, their defense is, uh, this last week against Middle Tennessee State forced four turnovers. They're holding their opponent to an average of 2.2 yards per carry, yards per rush. Okay, that is impressive, especially again they played against a team in North Carolina who last year had two running backs um, that went that were drafted, I believe, in the first round, if not the first two rounds of the NFL draft. I mean, North Carolina's identity last year. A lot of people talk about Sam Howell, and he's he's great. He did much better week two than week one, but their identity was running the ball, and Virginia Tech just shut that down. They're very disciplined as well. Uh, they're averaging only two penalties for 25 yards. You know, Virginia Tech is not over-the-top, wow, you stellar players, but they're, they're just very disciplined. And I think we're seeing a lot of success so far this season out of teams that are just very disciplined. I would say the same thing about, like, an Iowa, although Iowa's defense is, is stellar, um, maybe the best in the country. Um, but <clears throat> for Virginia Tech, their red zone defense is their strength. They've allowed zero red zone touchdowns this year. Uh, the offense is pedestrian. Uh, Burmeister has proved capable. That's their quarterback, Virginia Tech. But he, like the situation with um, Adrian Martinez in uh, Nebraska, Burmeister is their leading passer and rusher. Uh, and so that's a lot of consolidation of production into one person um, and a, a person who's running the ball that could get injured and completely derail your offense. Um on the other side of the ball, we have West Virginia, who last week beat Long Island University 66 to nothing. Uh, so, yeah, take that, Long Island. Uh, <laughs> um, after having four turnovers in their week one loss uh, to Maryland, two interceptions and two fumbles, uh, and they only had 48 rushing yards <laughs> against Maryland week one, Jared Doge actually had a pretty good game uh, against Long Island. So, maybe everybody needs to schedule Long Island. Uh, Jarrett Doge, the quarterback, 14 of 22, 259, and three touchdowns. And uh, the team had 198 rushing yards. So pretty decent running yards, but it's it's really interesting because Letty Brown was supposed to be their stalwart running back, returning as the starter. And, and yeah, he has four touchdowns, but he's only averaging 51 yards per game. So... I, I, I don't see the three-point advantage here for West Virginia. I think Vegas has this one wrong, and Virginia Tech is the team to pick here. Uh, in the next game, <clears throat> 10 a.m., ESPN2, uh, everybody's darling, Coastal Carolina, is playing against Buffalo, who I've mentioned multiple times. I think they're actually a pretty good team, but they did lose whatever, whatever it was, 28-3 to last week against Nebraska. So, um, so maybe not so much. Uh, but Coastal Carolina, this last week, I watched their game against Kansas, and it was a fun one. Um, I think that was on Thursday, or maybe, well, I can't. maybe it was Friday, I can't remember. Um, but Coastal Carolina's defense gave up 412 yards of offense to Kansas. Kansas, a program that everyone had buried in the offseason. Like, just disband, don't play football anymore. They got 412 yards of offense against Coastal Carolina. Uh, and and for those Kansas fans out there, i got to tell you, the North Texas transfer quarterback, Jason Bean, he is electric and exciting. Um, he had 189 yards passing, 102 yards rushing, and two touchdowns. Kansas, I think, uh, might, be, might be turning a bit of a corner with Lance Leopold as their head coach now. We'll see. Les Miles... You know, I, I like him, but, man, he really did a number there, and their program is in some dire straits. But <clears throat> but back to the game here. Coastal Carolina beat Kansas last week 49-22. to Grayson McCall, the quarterback <clears throat> for Coastal Carolina, went 12-21, 245 yards and two touchdowns. He also ran for 16 yards and a touchdown. He had a pretty solid game, and he's a fun, fun guy to watch. He plays fun. He is on the sideline really motivating his teammates. I did not know this. I was going to run this by Alan if he was here, but I but apparently Grayson McCall and Sam Howell, the head, the the quarterback for North Carolina, both grew up in the same town. 
Like they played at crosstown rival high schools. Uh, it's pretty cool to hear stories like that. And then obviously both of them are performing well and <clears throat> on big stages in college football now. Um, one of them has a better mullet, Grayson McCall, than the other one. But <laughs> but anyways, Buffalo last week again lost 28-3 to Nebraska. Their defense gave up 516 yards of offense to Nebraska. Um, and their offense had zero touchdowns. That's a tough to win a game when your defense gives up 516 yards and your offense scores zero touchdowns. <clears throat> it's a far cry from their debut uh, victory, 69-7 over Wagner, which, sorry Wagner fans, but probably it makes you think, man, yikes, how bad is Wagner? Um, uh, the quarterback, Kyle Van Treese, and, um, and uh, wide receiver Marlon Johnson, uh, are, are going to have to step up. you got to get the offense going. Buffalo is really, they came into the season probably looking like they were hoping to win 10 or 9 games, and boy, they need to get some offense going. And I think this is actually a not very good Coastal Carolina defense. So you might be able to get, uh, get that going a little bit. Again, <clears throat> Kansas had 412 yards on offense and 22 points. So Buffalo, I think, might be able to have a little bit of bounce back here. Coastal Carolina favored by 13. I think that that's probably fair and accurate. Uh, and, again, that game is 10 a.m. on ESPN2. All right, our next game is on ABC at 10 a.m., and this, I think, is an actually a very fascinating game. You have Michigan State at 2-0 uh, playing at Miami, Miami Gardens, against um, the 1-1 one one Hurricanes. Um Michigan State coming off of a win, forty-two to fourteen over Youngstown State. I I have you know to the extent that you can after two games, boy, I've got to I got to um, give some credit to Mel Tucker. I told you with all these transfers they had coming in, I didn't know how the cohesion would come together. Michigan State has looked very very good. Uh, their running back Kenneth Walker uh, is the fourth in the country with three hundred twenty-one rushing yards. Um, Peyton Thorne, their quarterback, is a clear upgrade from Rocky Lombardi last year. He's thrown for 65%, uh, 465 yards and five touchdowns with zero interceptions this year. Uh, and their, their big weapon, really, on the outside is Jaden Reed. Nine receptions, get this, nine receptions, 245 yards and two touchdowns. Um, their defense holds opponents to only 43% on third down. I think Michigan State is a pretty good team, and this is going to be a pretty good game. Uh, Miami, I'm not sure where they're at. They got completely dominated and decimated week one by Alabama. They came out week two and really kind of laid a dud as well. They beat Appalachian State 25-23. to I mentioned earlier their backup running back Donald Chaney Jr. is out for the season with a leg injury. Um, man, you, you, I mean, I, I get Appalachian State is better than most group of five teams, but you only win that by two. You're supposed to be a ranked team. I, I, I think that that's not a good sign for the future. Um, they only had 266 yards of offense total against Appalachian State. They had three turnovers versus Alabama. Um, their defense gave up 501 yards to Alabama. Like they only won this game against Appalachian State because of a late field goal by Borigales. Um and Deer King. Gosh, where what happened? I don't, I don't know. We, he was back in the news in the off season because of all this uh, name, image, and likeness stuff. But he hasn't earned his money. I mean, if you're asking me, uh, this game against App State, he had one touchdown and two interceptions. Um, that is not going to cut it. I. I think if you're looking for a spicy upset pick, Miami's favored by six and a half. I, you might give the nod to Michigan State here. Uh, staying in the Big Ten, uh, our next game, Pac-12 Network at 11 a.m. One and one uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers visit the one and one Colorado Buffaloes. Golden Buffaloes. Colorado is actually favored by two points in this game. Um, Minnesota's wide receiver Chris Ottman Bell is out with a or questionable with a leg injury. Man, after losing Muhammad Ibrahim, if they lost Chris Ottman Bell as well, boy, they would be in tough straits. Tanner Morgan is already regressing, and he doesn't have now two of his major weapons potentially around him. Um, that's tough. 
Um, the running back Tracy Potts last week in their uh, 31 to 26 win over Mi- Miami of Ohio actually filled uh, Muhammad Ibrahim's shoes pretty well. 34 carries, 178 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, that right there shows you how desperately they're leaning on the run game. 34 carries, holy cow. They really have only have one real target now remaining if Chris Ottman Bell is out, and that's the wide receiver Dylan Wright. He had 73 yards and a touchdown. Um, ultimately, Minnesota's offensive line is strong, but their defensive line has provided zero sacks, and their defense is giving, giving up an average of 418 yards per game. Uh, on the flip side, Colorado, off of their... Uh, momentum building. I, again, I'm not a, a moral victory kind of guy, but uh, lost seven to ten to Texas A&M. More bad news. I mentioned earlier, uh, Jared Broussard questionable with an d- undisclosed injury. But I think something really of note for Colorado fans. Uh, week one, they, were, they had 12 penalties for 118 yards. Just super undisciplined football. Uh, this game against Texas A&M, they only had two penalties for seven yards. Uh, I mentioned in the previous podcast, Brendan Lewis in the run game is kind of a new wrinkle that I think they can really exploit. Um, <clears throat> but it's going to be tough getting the passing game going when you have Levante Chenault out, uh, suspended for the rest of the year. I don't know if you really miss a ton replacing Broussard with Alex Fontenot. Uh, uh, Fontenot uh, had 874 yards rushing in 2019. So the, the running game, I think, will be fine. The question is the wide receivers. Uh, get this now. After two games, Colorado's leading wide receiver, Arius, only has 37 yards. Yikes. That is not good. Um, our uh, Colorado's defense, though, is uh, only giving up 58.5 rush yards per game. Uh, number five defense in the country, only giving up 8.5 points per game. So Minnesota doesn't have a ton of offense. They're running into a, an outstanding, phenomenal defense from Colorado. Colorado doesn't have much at all of a passing game, but they have a strong running game. I, I think Colorado gets this win. Uh, moving on to the next game on ESPN Plus at 12 p.m., uh, we have Nevada, who's a two-and-a-half-point favorite over Kansas State, we mentioned earlier, Skylar Thompson, the starting quarterback for Kansas State, is out with a knee injury, and he's out indefinitely. I, I These are two interesting teams to me. Uh, Nevada is very exceptional in the passing game on offense. Quarterback Carson Strong, 68%, 693 yards and six touchdowns. That was a lot of sixes. Um, and then they've got a quartet of receivers, Horton, Dubs, Cooks, uh, and Turner, the tight end, who all have over 100 yards receiving. Cooks has three touchdowns on the year. Um, and then on the flip side, Kansas State's offense is really, really dom- you know, predominantly based on the run game. So I'm not entirely sure how much of a, lo- a loss Skylar Thompson at quarterback really is when you've got a guy in Deuce Vaughn who is kind of off the board, I suppose, but he is a, a, an incredible running back. Uh, 39 carries, 244 yards, and four touchdowns. He also has four receptions for 30 yards. Um, on the season, Kansas State has zero passing touchdowns. So I'm not sure how much of a drop-off there's going to be replacing that quarterback. Their defense, Kansas State's defense, has forced uh, five turnovers in two games, and they're holding their opponents to only 1.8 rush yards per carry. Uh, This is going to be an interesting dynamic and clash of styles. Kansas State has a strong run defense. Nevada has a strong pass offense. Kansas State has a strong rush offense. Nevada has, uh, you know, kind of a a stronger, I suppose, rush defense. D-tackle, Nichols has three sacks. Um... But something to keep in mind for Nevada, if the game is close, and it's projected to be a two-and-a-half-point game, is Talton, the field goal kicker for Nevada, has missed already two field goals between the distance of 30 and 39 yards. So it'll be interesting. I really I really don't know. I suppose I would favor Nevada just a touch, but, um, but that's going to be a fun game to watch. Then we move on to Purdue against Notre Dame on NBC at 1230. And Purdue is really kind of flying under the radar here. They had a phenomenal performance, again, granted, albeit against Connecticut last week, 49 to nothing. 
Connecticut, uh, boy, they can really uh, pretty much uh, come to grips with the fact that they're going to be an FCS program here pretty soon. But Purdue 2-0 coming into the game. Jack Plummer uh, is really summoning his inner Drew Brees. He's 74% completion percentage on the year. That is outstanding. 558 yards, six touchdowns, and no interceptions. Um, Purdue, unfortunately, though, doesn't really have any rush game to to uh, of note, which could be you know pose a problem if um, if defenses go three down linemen and really back up in coverage. Um, but the wide receiver David Bell is is really um, the shining the shining spot uh, in, on their offense for Purdue. Four, 14 receptions for 255 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, on the other side of the ball for Purdue, their defense is really kind of a defense by committee. There's really not one player who is, you know, uh, in the driver's seat working towards an award or something. But they hold their opponent to 36% on third downs. Uh, and and um, uh, the senior, Jalen Alexander, has been phenomenal. Uh, I suppose if there's a leader on that defense, he's probably the leader on that defense. Uh, Purdue has forced three fumbles on defense, and unfortunately they've recovered zero of them. So at some point that ball's got to kind of bounce their way, and I, I would think that may be the case here in a, a game against Notre Dame while, where, man, Notre Dame is reeling as a program. Um, it, it, you know, last week uh, Notre Dame beat Toledo 32-29. to This is a game where Toledo had 11 penalties for 99 yards. Um, they but And Toledo dominated the time of possession, um, and Notre Dame had zero turnovers, and and you know, uh, yet somehow Toledo hung in this game. Uh, the freshman quarterback uh, Tyler uh, Buckner, three of three, seventy-eight y- yards and a touchdown. He might be given a run at Jack Cohen here, who I thought was actually pretty impressive week one against Florida State. But Jack Cohen, two hundred uh, two hundred thirty-nine yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. You could have a quarterback competition on your hands. Coming across the way here for Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame's uh, defense is uh, giving up 353 yards per game, 4.3 yards per rush. Um, and Notre Dame's only averaging 2.65 yards per rush. Kyron Williams only has, in two games, 120 yards and a touchdown. That's not going to cut it. Um, Notre Dame's defense has actually been pretty good. Uh, they have 10 sacks on the season, and uh, Bertrand and Foskey have been pretty good. I, I don't think that there's a big uh, glaring issue on the defense. I, I just think there's no cohesion on the offense, and turnovers um, you know, can, can be a problem. Um, so... It'll be interesting to see how this game plays out. I think Purdue's going to be a lot more competitive than people think. Notre Dame has an opportunity here to bounce back and and to some degree at least make a statement if that's what they would like to do. Uh, But but we'll see. I I don't have a ton of confidence in Notre Dame at this point. And our next game on CBS at 1.30 is maybe one of the bigger games of the weekend. Alabama's a 15.5 point favorite over Florida. Uh, Alabama is coming off a of victory, 48 to 14 over Mercer, and Bryce Young just continues to impress. He's on the season, 71 percent, 571 yards, seven touchdowns. Again, no interceptions. That's that's really impressive. Uh, I mentioned earlier Alabama's first team All SEC linebacker Will Anderson is questionable with a knee injury, but when you've got um, Henry Toa Toa uh, and and Christian Harris. <laughs> the other two first-team all-SEC linebackers, you're in pretty good shape. Um, uh, the only possible issue uh, on third downs week one, Alabama was 62% against Miami. This past week, they were only 38% on third down. I mean, when you have a phenomenal defense, that's not that big of an issue. But that that is something that when you see an upset of, of this kind of caliber, things like that can come into play. Alabama has uh, a num- the number 10 total defense in the country, and they also have a top 10 offense in the country. So they're phenomenal. We can move on from Alabama. On the Florida side of the ball, though, in, in you know it, it's been interesting. Uh, South in the in their victory over South Florida, 42 to 20. There's a little bit of a quarterback competition that has arisen. Uh, Emory Jones, who's been the starter, 
uh, went uh, 63%, 264 yards, two touchdowns, but had four interceptions. Um, and the freshman quarterback, Anthony Richardson, came in. Um, he rushed for uh, six times, 192 yards, two touchdowns, 11 passes, 276 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, so there's a, there's a real legitimate quarterback competition going on in Gainesville, and that could create some confusion. It could be uh, a nuclear bomb for Florida, but it also could create confusion because Alabama maybe has to prepare differently depending on who the quarterback's going to be. Um, but Florida's defense gave up 297 yards and 14 points uh, on, on average. Um, oh, I'm sorry, no. Uh, Florida State, Florida gave up 297 yards and 14 uh, touch, or 14 points to the offense of South Florida. Uh, this is a team that two weeks ago, NC State only gave up 130 um, yards and a shutout of South Florida. So uh, Florida's defense doesn't seem to be better than North Carolina State's, which is probably a problem. But you, when you look historically now, Florida last year, they, they lost uh, the SEC championship last year only 52-46 to 46 to Alabama. Now, granted, they lost Kyle Trask and they lost Kyle Pitts, but this is an unprecedented. Last year, Florida beat a top-five team at home, that being Georgia. Unfortunately, Allen's not here to share in this uh, storyline. but So it's going to be interesting. Dan Mullen is a good coach. I think he's proven himself to be a really good coach. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure Florida can hang Fifteen and a half is probably right. I think you're looking at maybe a seventeen to twenty-one point victory for Alabama. All right, the next game I mentioned uh, Utah has a tall task ahead of them in the previous podcast, but this is five p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Utah is favored by seven and a half points over San Diego State. San Diego State two and zero, coming off of a victory over Arizona, thirty-eight to fourteen. In Utah's loss to BYU last week, they were only two of nine on third downs with two turnovers. Uh, they were beat by BYU in time of possession by 11 minutes. San Diego State is a very, very effective running team. They will probably get beat by time of, in time of possession by that much at least in this coming game. Uh, again, I, I mentioned Charlie Brewer. Um, he only passed for 147 yards last week. They need to open up the playbook a little bit or... Maybe Brewer's not the guy. Um, but uh, Utah has a strong defense, um, and Michael Bernard is, is coming onto the scene as a solid running back for them. But I, I am really excited about the San Diego State Aztecs program. Uh, the running back, Greg Bell, um, 38 carries, 286 yards, and two touchdowns uh, in the first two games. You'd like to see maybe a few more touchdowns. But, uh, man, he has got me hearkening back and remembering 2017 with Rashad Penny, 2016, Donnell Pumphrey. It's looking like a very similar team, which makes sense because this is Brady Hoke coming back and trying to sort of rebuild the the glory days there at San Diego State. Um, Their quarterback, Brookshire, is mobile and secure with the ball, which is important for for a Brady Hoke uh, team. Uh, They were 4-4 last year. They're off to a hot start this year. I think you could see San Diego State maybe pull an upset here. Um, It's going to be a fun game either way to watch. That one, again, is 5 p.m. CBS Sports Network uh, on Saturday. Then we have one of the, in my opinion, probably the biggest game of the week, which is Auburn going into what I believe will probably be a whiteout at Penn State. Um, uh, Both of these teams have kind of surprised me. They've been a little bit more effective and impressive than I thought that they would be. Um, Bonix has been efficient, not great. He's the quarterback for Auburn. Um, 74% is exceptionally efficient, but only 383 passing yards, five touchdowns, and 30 rushing yards uh, in their first two games. And that's coming off of a win over Alabama State, 62 to nothing. I mean, that, that just shows you that, that the running game is the focal point for Auburn. And Tate Bigsby was looked to be the guy coming into the year. Um, he has uh, 24 carries, 241 yards, and two touchdowns on the season. But the real surprise has been the freshman running back, uh, Jarquez um, Hunter. 17 carries, 257 yards, and two touchdowns himself. They're averaging 340 
um, rushing yards per game. Auburn has a very strong rushing offense. Uh, rolling up against the Penn State defense, which is actually pretty good. Um, they've only allowed 50 rushing yards and one uh, offensive touchdown versus Wisconsin. Um, in, a, in a surprisingly dominant, in my opinion, win over Ball State, Penn State really kind of, everything was open in the playbook. They had 240 rushing yards. Uh, three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, a pick six, three field goals. I mean, they were just scoring from everywhere on the field. Sean Clifford, uh, who was pedestrian to unimpressive in the, the week one win over Wisconsin, went 21 of 29, 230 yards, one touchdown. 11 carries, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, they're not fantastic at converting touchdowns in the red zone as well, and that could be a problem as you face better teams. Auburn may be able to exploit that. Uh, and then, uh, interestingly, the backup quarterback, Tar- uh, Taquan Robertson, came in and only threw two passes, one of them 23-yard touchdown. So a little glimpse at sort of what's next and on deck for Penn State there. <clears throat> Penn State's favored by six. I think you might see an Auburn upset here. Um, so keep that on your radar. <clears throat> the next game on ACC Network at 5.30 p.m. Saturday, Virginia, who has just been outperforming every estimate from get-go this season, uh, goes into North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And North Carolina, they really need to rebuild now after that loss, unexpected loss to Virginia Tech Week 1. They started that climb with a win over Georgia State last week, 59-17. to um, but Virginia Tech, Virginia is a different animal. Uh, quarterback Brennan Armstrong, 71% on the season, 744 yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, they really kind of run a running back by committee. They have six guys between 30 and 85 yards on the season, 339 yards total rushing in their first two games. They have five receivers over 100 yards. So just a lot of sharing the ball, a lot of spreading it out, which makes it difficult for the defense to key in on a certain player. Um, and uh, kind of uh, interestingly, uh, of those five receivers with over 100 uh, receiving yards, uh, one of them is the backup quarterback, uh, Keetion Thompson. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, caveat there. Um, Nick, Jackson, Nick Jackson, linebacker for Virginia, is outstanding on their defense. He has 19 tackles. Um, their defense is only allowed uh, 280 yards and one touchdown on the year. Virginia has a top-five defense in the country, stats-wise, at least to this point. Um, and then on the North Carolina side of the ball, North Carolina is favored by nine points at home here. Versus Virginia Tech, Sam Howell only had one touchdown and three interceptions uh, in the game against Georgia State. Sam Howell, uh, 73%, 352 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He also had 104 rushing yards and two touchdowns. They were really able to open him up and get him going. Uh, I'm not so sure how effective they're going to be able to do that against Virginia Tech or Virginia's defense. Uh, something interesting for to keep in mind with North Carolina, uh, in their first game against Virginia Tech, they were only 2 of 10 on third down. And in this last week game, they were only 5 of 10. So they have an issue with converting third downs and extending drives which puts some strain on that defense. Um, But, I mean, big picture, when you look, you go, hey, there's that top 10 offense that you expected, Uh, 607-yard pass uh, total, uh, 406 yards passing, 201 yards rushing in one game. I mean, that's that's just phenomenal. Um, And, you know, he got his targets going. Green, Simmons, Downs, Sam Howell averaged uh, 13.1 yards per pass. So if, if they can keep that momentum going, I think they can really give Virginia a run for their money. But I think Virginia, they, they, they are closer than nine points here. I would take the under. Um, I, I would take Virginia uh, plus the points on this one uh, if I were betting. And one other note, Virginia is the only team, well, one of the only teams, and I think there's only three teams, that have a top 20 offense. Uh, 550 yards per game, 43 points per game, uh, and a top 20 defense in the country. They're only giving up 260 yards per game, and they've only given up seven points per game. Uh, the next game 
And we, uh, this is third to last on our list of games to cover here. Uh, on FS1 at 7 p.m., you have Oklahoma State against Boise State. Now, this is going to be on the blue carpet up in Idaho. And uh, it's, uh, you know, you, you get another chance to look at Spencer Sanders, who returned back from COVID uh, protocols this last week uh, to go 15-26, 173 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He, he did rush for 62 yards. I, I'm not so sure. I mean, he's been great in the past uh, as a starter, but I'm not so sure he's all that much better than Illingworth, who was replacing him. Uh, you know, in the first game, uh, plus he had 315 yards passing, but only one touchdown uh, and one interception. So I'm not entirely sure uh, what the upgrade is going to be there at quarterback. Maybe it's a leadership thing in close games or something. Um, but the linebacker for Oklahoma State, Malcolm Rodriguez, is number one in the country with 28 tackles on the season. He had 13 tackles last week. Um, the the offense only averages 341 yards per game, 25 points, uh, and that's against bad teams. Bad teams. They just won this last week, 28-23 over Tulsa. That's a close win over a team you really should beat more than that. And their leading rusher is Spencer Sanders, who didn't play week one and is a quarterback. So, yikes. Maybe something to keep in mind there. Mike Gundy needs to figure out the run game on offense. Um, and some defensive issues there. Uh, but Boise State, after their loss to UCF Week 1, they came back, came back and beat UTEP pretty good. Uh, Hank Bachmeyer looked much better. In Week 1, he was 263 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. In Week 2, 340 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, this was also kind of scoring from everywhere on the field. Uh, Cobbs had a punt return for a touchdown, uh, 81 yards. Uh, and as a wide receiver, he had five catches, 121 yards of a touchdown. Khalil Shakir, uh, the guy I was saying they really needed to highlight and move around, he's got uh, 12 receptions for 257 yards, two touchdowns. Um, you know, I think the offense is rounding into shape. Bachmeyer is getting a little more comfortable for Boise State. Uh, their defense on the season, check this out, Boise State, in two games, they have five interceptions and four forced fumbles. That could be tricky for Spencer Sanders. Um, they're going to be ball hawking. And Boise uh, is favored by five points in this game. I think that's maybe low. I think they win by a touchdown. Um, the safety jail Skinner for Boise State has 22 tackles. That's tied for 10th uh, in the country. And Riley Wimpy has 19 tackles as well on defense. Uh, so that game's at 7 p.m. on FS1. We then move to our second-to-last game to uh, preview here, and that is on ESPN at 8.15 p.m., and this is uh, Arizona State favored by 3.5 points over BYU. Both teams are 2-0. BYU's coming in after that emotional win over Utah, a team they hadn't beaten in five years. Um, Arizona State probably has the most talent on their team that they have had in a long, long time. I mean, probably decades. Um, you know, Herm Edwards, they had that little issue uh, recruiting uh, thing or whatever, investigation in the offseason that people, including to some degree myself, thought might derail them a little bit. <clears throat> Boy, it hasn't. Um, they beat UNLV last week 37-10. to 10. JT Daniels on the season, 73%, 307 yards and two touchdowns, 19 carries for 165 yards. And so he is an exceptional running threat. He's also very accurate passing the ball. Um, but the running back that's really developed as their um, bell, uh, bell cow is Rashad White. In this last game, he had 29 carries, 148 yards, four touchdowns, six receptions for another 52 yards. They have a very potent offense, very strong, fun, not up-the-gut up the power running game. It's getting the edge, coming around the corner, getting into open spaces, Running the game or running game, um, uh, the Arizona State defense has forced four turnovers, and they're holding their opponent to two point eight uh, rush yards per carry. So the defense uh, is is locking up the run pretty good. It'll be interesting to see how that defense measures up against <clears throat> Tyler Algier, 
who is a perennial week-by-week 100-yard rusher for BYU. Um, in the game against Arizona, and I've mentioned this multiple times, BYU I thought was underwhelming. Uh, really the only takeaway was uh, Keenan Pelee had 17 tackles. <clears throat> he now has 24 on the season, which is sixth in the country. But in that game against Arizona, the defense gave up 426 yards, 345 of them through the air. Um, in this last game, though, they held Charlie Brewer to 147 passing yards <clears throat> and forced two turnovers. Um, they held Utah to two of nine on third down. I think Jaron Hall looked much better against Utah. Uh, 149 yards, three touchdowns. So it's going to be a fun game. I think BYU is going to try and play a more um, in-the-trenches, pack-your-lunch-pail, hard-nosed defensive game. And I think Arizona State's going to try and get out on the edge and get their athletes in open space and try and run the score up a little bit more. So these are uh, two teams that last played in 1998 when BYU's head coach was Lavelle Edwards. That's now the the field is named after the head coach, (laughs) Lavelle Edwards. Uh, But that game, BYU won 26-6. So now what are we coming back here? Um, 24 years later, maybe Arizona State's coming back for some revenge. Uh, I think I probably have Arizona State in this game. And the 3.5 is probably... Close. I think a field goal will probably do it. Uh, and then the final game we're going to cover here uh, today is at 8.45, the night game on the Pac-12 network. You have Fresno State, who's been, I think, pretty impressive out of the Mountain West, <clears throat> going up against one of the teams that's really come out of nowhere uh, to be fantastic, and that's UCLA. UCLA is favored by 11 points in this game, coming off of their big win over LSU 38-27 to last week. Uh and Fresno State's coming off of a 63-10 win over Cal Poly. Now, keep in mind here, okay, Oregon had uh, 269 rushing yards versus Iowa State, or I mean versus Ohio State in this past week's game. Oregon, let me say that again. Um, Oregon had 269 rushing yards versus Ohio State. They only had 186 against Fresno. Okay, so that's maybe something to keep in mind. Fresno's defense was able to secure... Oregon's running game better than Ohio State. Okay? Take that for what for what it's worth. Um, but in that loss, week one against Oregon, 31-24, they had the ball with a chance to win in the fourth quarter. Fresno State's quarterback, Jake Hayner, uh, throwing for 74%. He has over 1,000 yards already, eight touchdowns. He's the number one uh, passer in the country, and he also has three rushing touchdowns. So this is a dude that if you mess around, maybe turn the ball over a few times, he'll make you pay. This score can creep up. Um, you know, something maybe to keep in mind for UCLA is they get Stanford next week after after Stanford just beat USC. Uh, so maybe is there potential here, you're between the LSU game and a, a big Stanford game, maybe this is a trap game in between. I don't know, we'll see. Uh, but Dorian Thompson Robinson, again, I think continues to be pedestrian. He's only throwing for 52% uh, and 195 yards per game. That's not, that's, I mean, that's that's not effective or existent passing offense. Um, but their defense, UCLA's defense, is holding opponents to only 37.5 rush yards per game. So the defense, the rush defense is strong. The only problem is Fresno doesn't care about running the ball. They want to throw for 400 yards. So we'll see... Uh, how Quantrez Knight and some of those guys in the secondary uh, can pick pick up um, pick up these uh, deep threats from Fresno State. Uh, but another thing to keep in mind, and this is gonna this has been giving people fits all season, and it's gonna give Fresno State fits. Zach Charbonnet is averaging 13.1 yards per carry. The combination of Charbonnet, the transfer from Michigan, and Britton Brown, the transfer from Duke, uh, they have six touchdowns combined. Um, so the run game is strong at UCLA and they're going to get points, but the pass game is strong at Fresno and they're probably going to get points too. So this may be different styles, but you could see a little bit of a shootout, uh, in, in what they affectionately like to call Pac-12 after dark. Something else to consider with the, um, UCLA defense is they're giving up an average of, uh, 287 pass yards per game. They gave up 343 pass yards to, to LSU. 
So they don't seem to have a very strong pass defense. They do have an exceptional run defense, but they don't seem to have the depth uh, and the athleticism in the secondary um, to, to hang. And this is a team that passed the ball all over Oregon. So this could be an interesting one. UCLA favored by 11. I think that that is way too high. This one could come down to the wire. I could see Dorian Thompson-Robinson trying to put press, maybe turning the ball over a time or two. Um, uh, but ultimately, that's, uh, that's going to be the nightcap on what's going to be a real fun day of games. And so we're, we're looking forward to it. I'm sure I'll be talking with Alan, and we're going to get our picks sorted out. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to a, another great week in college football. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a real fun one. Hopefully the next podcast I'll have Alan here with me. Uh, with that being said, this is a fan section podcast. Uh, be sure to like, subscribe, get into that mailbox. Uh, as Alan always says, if you leave us a five-star review, we will leave, read it live on air, uh, no matter what it says. So you can say something funny about me or Alan, and we will we will find a way to read it live on air. So with that being said, let's have a great week three in college football.